You might want to save your applause till the end. Good morning. Happy Father's Day to all of the fathers. Let's give them a big round of applause. So first I want to say, uh, read this card. It uh, says, number one dad, CTN dads and men, in grateful recognition for being all around great dads and good men and heroes to your Christ Temple North family, happy Father's Day, dads and men, love the Ponder family. Amen. So we're flying with only one air conditioning unit this morning. So break out a fan or a piece of paper or you'll figure it out. You've been hot before. So pastor asked me uh, for his birthday uh, if I would do the sermon. And I thought about it for a minute and I thought, well, if I do the sermon, I won't have to buy him anything. So yeah, so here I am. So I want to encourage uh, the men and the fathers this morning. Uh, if you are in any type of situation where you are mentoring someone, whether you're a father, a godfather, grandfather, uncle, uh, mentor, big brother, whatever, if you're in a position where you're mentoring and you have the opportunity to mold minds of young people, you are fathering, okay? So there are a lot of men who have children who are not fathers, just like there are a lot of men who don't have children who are fathers. So thank you to Sister Kim and to the praise team. I asked them to sing that song today because that's what I titled uh, today's sermon. It's called, He Knows Your Name, Five Ingredients to Successful Fathering. And we're gonna talk about uh, a special father that is very well known, but his child, no one seems to know the child's name. And we're gonna talk about why was it so important for his name to be known. So we're gonna talk about Jairus this morning, and we're coming from Mark 5 and 21, and that's where we're gonna pick the story up. Mark 5 and 21, and it says here, it says, when Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet, and he pleaded earnestly with him, my daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. So remember, we're talking about five ingredients to successful fathering, and there are a lot of ingredients that can go into that, but I just want to focus on five today that I found as I went through this story. So let's start with Jairus. If he's he's our, our main person in this story, so we need to know who this guy is, right? So Jairus was a ruler in the synagogue in Capernaum, all right? So he was an extremely powerful man. He was a very influential man. He was the type of man that, that when, when people saw him, they saw the respect that he had. They respected his position, okay? With all that he had, all of the accolades, okay, all of the respect that he had, his daughter was dying. So when he came to Jesus, he didn't come to Jesus as Jairus, ruler of the church of Capernaum. He didn't come as Jairus, um, a man of great influence and, and a man probably of, of great wealth. He was simply a father. He was a father who was concerned about his child. Nothing in his life 
Nothing that he had achieved, no amount of accolades mattered at that moment. He was simply a father concerned about his child. So the first ingredient that I found for being a successful father is you've got to be humble. Jairus had to humble himself and go to Jesus and ask for his help. One of the most important things you will ever know as a, as a father, as a leader, is humility. Leading and guiding and fathering is not about chest thumping. It's not about reminding everybody who you are. They don't need to hear who you are. They need to see who you are. So Jairus humbled himself. And I want to ask you, he knew who he was, and he knew that he had to humble himself in that manner. My question to you is, do you know who you are as fathers, as godfathers, grandfathers, uncles, mentors? Do you know who you are in the lives of those that you are influencing? Because if you don't know, then you need to humble yourself. Because at the beginning of, hum of, of humility comes understanding. When you humble yourself, now you are opening yourself up wide to learn not only who you are, but who you're not. We already have a good idea of who we are, but a lot of us fool ourselves into not knowing who we're not. What areas do we need to improve? What areas do we need to be honest with ourselves? What areas do we might need to go back and apologize to some people for not fathering in the way that we should have? So when we humble ourselves in the sight of God, he then will speak to us and he will tell us exactly not only what we're doing right, but more importantly, what we're doing wrong. And the second part of that humility is have the courage and the conditioning and the commitment to make the change. Make those adjustments in your humility, in your brokenness. Okay, so that is what Jairus had to do. He had to understand that he could change the lives of a lot of people. But this was one situation he had no control over. And he had to turn it over to Jesus. Be humble. That's ingredient number one. So continuing on, it says, a large crowd followed and pressed around him. We're talking about Jesus here. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. See, a lot of people, they preach these as two different stories. A lot of people don't realize that Jesus was on his way to Jairus' house when this situation occurred. All right. So it says she had suffered a great deal uh, under the care of many doctors and has spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she got worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd. She touched his cloak because she thought if I could touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped and her body was freed from her suffering. Now, at once, Jesus realized that power had gone out of him and he turned to the crowd and he said, who touched my clothes? <laughs> the disciples said, you see people crowding around you. How do you ask who touched me? And I like to think when I'm reading the Bible, I like to, to, to think of it in, in terms of, of today. So we have to remember that Jesus was a celebrity back then, okay? 
Jesus would, if, if you could imagine, when Jesus is walking through town, people have heard of this guy. Whether they like him or not, they've heard of this guy. They've heard of the things that he said. They've heard of the things that he's done. So there are people crowding around him. They want to be around him, okay? I try to think of uh, maybe like the Beatles, for those of you who remember the Beatles. They couldn't go anywhere without people just swarming him and reaching out for him, and they're trying to fight their way through these crowds. Or, or Michael Jackson or Elvis Presley. He was bigger than them. Imagine the people who've heard about this man, and everywhere Jesus went, there was this crowd of people that he always had to push through. So the disciples are saying, Jesus, you've got all these people that are touching you. What do you mean? Who touched me? But Jesus, looking around to see who had done it, then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, now remember this, because this is going to be important later. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and free from your suffering. So we talk about what happened with the woman with the bad issue of blood for 12 years, but we forgot about somebody. Jairus is there, trying to get Jesus to his house as soon as possible. Jesus gets stopped by the crowd. Now you have to imagine this. Now imagine, imagine the Beatles, Elvis Presley, Michael Jackson, they're trying to get through. Even if this woman had not touched the hem of his garment, imagine the amount of time it would have taken, because he couldn't just get in a limo and drive off. He had to walk through these towns. Imagine the amount of time that it's taking for Jesus and the disciples to press through all of these people just to get to Jairus' house, let alone stopping and having this conversation with this woman who touched his cloak. So imagine the fear, the anxiety that Jairus has. He don't care about this woman. He's trying to get Jesus to his house to save his daughter. So not only did this movement through this crowd cause anxiety in him, but the whole conversation, this whole exchange that he's having with this woman who touched, who touched my garment, they're trying to figure out. She's scared. She's not coming right out and saying it was her. So that's minutes time that's ticking. She finally decides to say something. Jesus is having an entire conversation with him and Jairus is standing there like, oh my God, Jesus, can we? The second ingredient is when you're fathering, don't get frustrated. Because no matter what happened, Jesus had already told Jairus he was going with him. All right? He was already walking with Jesus. It was going to be fine. If you're walking with Jesus in your everyday life, you're going to come up on detours, you're going to come up on roadblocks, you're going to come up on frustrations, but don't buy into those frustrations. Take your eyes off the problem and stay focused on who you asked to walk with you. Because one thing I can promise you is, as our pastor tells us, one thing God, two things God can't do, he can't lie and he can't fail. He told Jairus, I'm coming with you. Why would he say that if he wasn't going to come through? All right. Jesus always comes through on his end. God will always come through on his end. What are we bringing to the table as fathers? 
as mentors, as godfathers, as grandfathers. When we take upon the mantle of wanting to father in a godly way, are we doing the things that God would have us to do? You're going to have frustrations, but don't get frustrated, all right? You're going to have problems, situations. Don't focus on those. Don't focus on your problem. Focus on the promise that was made that God would never leave you and he will never forsake you. So ingredient number two, you're walking with Jesus. Don't get frustrated. You'll be okay. All right? So let's continue on. So it says, while Jesus was speaking, so that means he's still here talking to the lady with the bad, the bad issue of blood. So while Jesus was speaking, some people came to the house of, from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader, and they said to him, your daughter is dead. Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, don't be afraid, just believe. Now, he did not let anyone follow him except for Peter, James, and John, who was the brother of James. And when they came to the home of the synagogue leader, so they finally have made it to Jairus' house. So Jairus has been told that his daughter has, has died and there's no point in having Jesus come and, and don't, don't, bother, you know, don't bother him anymore. She's done. She's, she's dead. You know, just it's, it, it's fine. So it says here, when they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion of course, because the young girl had just died, with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why all of this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, she's asleep. But they laughed at him. Ingredient number three, don't listen to the crowd. The crowd will always gravitate toward the negative, doubt, questioning. Don't listen to the crowd. Had Jairus listened to the crowd in the first place, she's dying. Jesus is busy. Don't even go ask Jesus. Had Jairus listened to the crowd, he wouldn't have even gone and asked Jesus in the first place. Had he listened to the crowd, he would have forgotten what Jesus had just told him. He said, don't be afraid. Just believe. Had he listened to the crowd, he would have failed his daughter. So who is the crowd today? Because there's always a crowd. Who's the crowd today? Social media, the news, what we read, what we think we know. If you listen to the crowd, men, the crowd will have you believe that it's okay for mom to take care of the kids. She's, she's got it. You don't need to, you can go on about, go on about your business. That's what, that's, what the, that's what the crowd has us, has us to believe. The crowd will have you believe that you can't handle being a dad. It's, it's just too much going on. There's too much in the world. You just, you know, just send them out there and, 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 and hope for the best. There's nowhere in the Bible where God tells us to hope for the best of anything. Expect it and do it. That's what we're told in the Bible. Black men, the crowd will tell you that you only give birth to statistics. 
The chances of your child living to be 21 years old are this percent. The chances of your child being strung out on drugs are this percent. My white brothers and sisters, the crowd will tell you that that drug use in the suburbs is higher than what it is in the cities. The crowd will tell you that you are your kid's friend. And then you want to get mad when you start treating them like a friend, and then they start treating you like you're their friend. And then you want to pull out the parent card. Well, wait a minute, I thought we were buddies. Who's fathering? You or them? Who has control over the household? You or them? Because even when Jairus was not in the house at the time when his daughter was dying, Jairus had still taken control of the situation by going out and seeking help. So even though he wasn't physically in that house at the time, he was still performing his fatherly duties by seeking help for his child. He was still working to make sure that his child was taken care of. Don't listen to the crowd. Sometimes the crowd, the biggest crowd, is in here. Sometimes you have to get out of your own way and let God move into that space and take over the situation. If what you're doing right now is not working, try a new thing. Do something different. Because not only is your life at stake, but the life of every person who you are set in place to father is at stake. You have responsibility for the life of every one of those children. And then some people say, well, you know, once they're 18 and they get out on their own, they're not my problem anymore. Not if you planted a seed way back then. All right. If you planted sunflower seeds, don't expect it to be an apple tree when it grows up. If you have not planted godly values, the word of God and the promises of God in your children or whomever you are mentoring at the youngest age possible. My nephew is seven years old and he knows more stuff about cell phones, computers and the Internet than I do. These kids know every song that they that they that they want to sing. They know electronics. They know all of this stuff. Don't tell me that they can't learn a Bible, a Bible verse or two. They can Google everything else on the, in the, uh, on the internet. Why can't they teach them how to Google a scripture a day? Too many of us in fathering positions take the responsibility too lightly. Jairus acted as if his daughter's life depended on it because it did. You need to act as if your children's lives depend upon it because they do. Don't listen to the crowd. The crowd will have you throw your hands up and say, I can't do anything else with them, I'm, I'm, I'm done. How many people have heard that the opposite of success is failure? We've all heard that, the opposite of success is failure. I don't believe that. 
You're not going to knock it out the park every time you're doing something when you're a father. You're going to fall short. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to have issues. But the first thing you want to do is you want to go get on your knees. You want to ask for forgiveness if that's what's necessary. And you want to make that adjustment and you want to learn from that failure. So the opposite of success is not failure. The opposite of success is not even trying in the first place. And that's an absentee father. And I've got some bad news for some of you. You don't have to be absent from the home to be an absentee father. There are many fathers who are breadwinners. They're providers. They keep the lights on and the toilets flushing. They keep food on the table. But what are you doing to feed your children spiritually? Uplifting their mother, your wife, spiritually. And even if she's not your wife anymore, she's still their mother. What example are you setting? Give your children credit, people. They don't miss anything. They're a lot smarter than you think they are. Children can read the room. They can tell when mommy and daddy aren't getting along. They may not say anything about it, but they can tell. It's your responsibility to keep the wheels on that bus rolling at all times. It's your responsibility to harbor peace, love, tranquility, respect, wisdom, knowledge, growth, and success in your home. That is your job. No one put any of this upon you. You put it upon yourself. If you don't think you have what it takes to father someone, don't step in that ring. Because if you are to have the characteristics of Christ and you are supposed to father as our heavenly father fathers us, I'm not going to lie to you. You're in for a busy life because it's a 24 hour a day job. And even when they're gone and they move on, you get to become grandfather. Now, my sister and I always tell my parents when the kids come over, we look at each other and we're like, these are not the same people that raised us. <laughs> my nephew Ellington, that's my dude. He's seven, he's seven years old and he's a tornado. You turn your head and, and he's hanging from that light. I mean, he's everywhere. But even in his wild manner, in his wild demeanor, he's a boy, he's all over the place, run, 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 run. He still has respect at his grandparents' house because he's taught respect in his own house. Now, if you get out in the, in the, in the yard with him, he's going to talk about Patrick Mahomes, he's going to talk about Travis Kelsey, and, and, and he wants to throw up, play football 24-7, and then he's jumping on the trampoline, and he's running here and he's running there. He's a kid. He's very much a child, but he's a respectful child. Their daughters are respectful. Why are their daughters respectful? Why are their children respectful? Because their mother and their father won't expect or won't take anything less from those children. And why is that? Because their parents wouldn't take anything less from us. So the seed that you plant is the plant you're going to get. 
All right? Don't listen to, don't listen to the crowd. All right. So moving on. So Jesus got irritated because all because the, the crowd was running off with the mouth and Jesus put everybody out. Everybody he said, go home, get out. How many of you have people in your life that are still there at the risk of your children? How many people are in your ear affecting what happens to your child? How many of you have people in your life that you need to tell to get out? Because I'm trying to father my children and you're not helping me. How many of you have the courage to do it? What's more important to you, pleasing the crowd or being a godly father and raising godly children? Who would you rather answer to at the end of the day? The crowd or your heavenly father? Who do you want to make happy at the end of the day? When you lay your head down at the end of the day, who do you want proud of you? The crowd or your heavenly father? If you have to think about that, not only do I feel sorry for you, but I will pray for you that you change your way of thinking with a quickness. Because if you watch what's going on in the world today, you don't have time to dilly-dally with raising your children. I try my best not to watch the news. I try to watch the weather. And so about, about 20 minutes after the news starts, I try to click on and catch the weather. But the other day I turned on the news. My dad always calls me because my, dad, my dad's a news junkie and he's like, did you, did you see what? I'm like, no, I have no idea. I, I, don't, I don't know, I can't. Pastor's spirit is stronger than mine. He can watch that stuff and that, it gets in my spirit. It, it bothers me when I see, you know, the footage of a man walking down the street in New York with his two little children? And somebody comes running up and shoots the guy? And they caught it from three camera angles. You don't have time. You don't have time to waste. If you don't feel like you are raising your children in the way that God would have you to do it, you need to make that change right now. As we sit in these pews, you need to make your mind up that your mind is made up, that you're going to make the change at this very moment. You don't even know if you're going to make it from this church to your house today. And a lot of people ask, it drives me nuts when people find out I'm a Christian. When do you think Jesus is coming? I don't know. I don't care. I don't want to know. But I do know that when he comes, I want to make sure I'm tight and right and I'm ready to go. I think that's why he wants it to be a surprise. You know how when you know, when you know company's coming over and you hurry up and clean your house up? No, he wants to show up when you don't know he's coming. He wants to see what your house looks like. He's just going to pop in and see, what, and see what's happening in your house. So be ready. Sweep that family up. Clean that family up. Dust that family off. Dust off those parenting skills, those fathering skills. Get yourself ready to get ready. Because we don't know when we're going to have to atone 
for what we've done and what we've not done. Now, moving on. After Jesus kicked them all out, I wish I'd have been there. I would have been in the corner just cracking up. Get him, Jesus. Get, get out. So after he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the, the disciples who were with him. And he went to where the child was. He took her by the hand and he said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. And then it says here she was 12 years old. And at this, they were completely astonished. So I'm going to go back to verse 34. When the woman had touched Jesus' cloak. Now remember, I told you to remember that part. When she touched his cloak and he had the conversation with her, he said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Okay? If you remember, when they came to Jairus and said, your daughter's dead, stop bothering Jesus, Jesus said to him, don't be afraid, just believe. Two instances of faith there. He tells one woman, your faith healed you. And then he tells Jairus, don't be afraid, just believe, just have faith. What I find interesting is the woman who had the bad blood had it for 12 years. Jairus' daughter was 12 years old. We don't know what Jairus' daughter's name, we call her Jairus' daughter. The woman with the bad issue of blood, Jesus called her daughter. So, the fourth ingredient, realize that your problems are not unique. These were two totally separate instances, but Jesus handled both of them in the same way. Have faith, okay? You're my daughter. This is your daughter. This is my daughter as well. If you get yourself trapped up in the belief, thank you, that your faith, thank you, Jesus, that 30 minutes went fast. If you, <laughs> if you get caught up in the belief that your problem is unique, then you start to think, well, God can't help me. That's what I talked about earlier when I said when we get in our own head and we start thinking about, oh, my God, like, like as if you are the only person in the history of the world that has had this problem with your children. Your problem's not unique. God's been handling your problem for a thousand years and he's gonna handle it just like he did to the same person that had this problem years ago. Your problem's not unique. Don't get in your own way as a father, as a grandfather, a godfather, a mentor, don't get in your own way and think, oh my God, this is just so big and so different and so out of the ordinary. I don't know who to talk to. I don't know who's going to be able to help me. You're not unique. I guarantee you, when you put your faith out there and ask for help, back to the beginning, what Jairus did, when you humble yourself and you put your faith out there, believing that someone's going to send help to you, God will send help to you. 
no matter how unique your problem is, no matter how, how difficult you think it is in this fathering and in this mentoring role, God's going to send help. God doesn't want a single person in here on that live stream. Anyone who takes Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior, God wants success for you in everything that you do. He's not going to set you up to fail. He wants you to be successful as fathers, as godfathers, grandfathers, big brothers, uncles, husbands, mentors. He wants you to be successful. Because when you look good, he looks good. And then you can be a living testimony, all right, for what he's done for you, which in turn brings more people to Christ and strengthens the body of faith, because that's what we're here for. Amen? And finally, the fifth ingredient. We don't know the name of the woman who had the bad blood. We don't know Jairus' daughter's name, but we do know Jairus' name. Men, he knows your name. No matter what you've done, no matter who you are, no matter where you've been, he knows your name. Don't think that you're not important to him. Don't think that you're on your own in this. Don't think that your problem is too hard for God to send help to you. He's watching you. If you're walking with him, he's got you. He knows your name. I tried to write down the names of every man that walked into this building this morning. Some of you probably wondered why I asked your names. I couldn't remember all your names. And some of you I'd never met before. J.K., Larry, Elliot, Steve, Ray, Matt, Clarence. He knows your name. Logan, Paul, Jason, Eric, Boyd, Justice, Michael. He knows your name. Spencer, Steve, Travis, Roderick, Gogo. He knows Gogo's real name and he knows how to pronounce it. <laughs> Gerald, Philip, Wayne, Nathan, Trevor, DJ. Coach, Kyle, he knows your names and you're special to each and every one of them. Moses walked in, I didn't catch you. He knows your name, Moses. He really knows your name. <laughs> and most importantly, dad, Johnny, he knows your name. He's known your name for eons before you even started your journey on this earth. He knew your name when you were a little boy running around Lacine, Kansas. He knew your name when you came to Kansas City in the mid-60s with a few dollars to your pocket to mop floors at Hallmark Cards. He knew your name when he introduced you to Gwendolyn Robinson. 
He knew your name when you gave birth to your children. He knew your name when you took him as your personal Lord and Savior and you started in unity in Christ's temple at your kitchen table. He knew your name when you ran the Olympic torch for all the world to see. He knew your name when you went to the doctor and he said, Johnny, you've got cancer. He knew your name the second time they told you. He knew your name the third time. He's known your name when you have mentored and fathered and shepherded literally thousands of people all over the world. From this church to other churches to the track, he's known your name when you've taken children and put them in a role as a coach and fathered them in your coaching role and taken them from nothing to world champions. He's known your name. He knows your name now. At 75 years old, he knows your name. And for many, many more years that you're going to walk this earth, he's going to know your name. And when he's ready to call you up, he's going to know your name because he's going to say, Johnny, well done, my good and faithful servant. Well done. God bless you. God bless you. Thank you. Bless you. Bless you. blessings of my life of being able to do that and 75 to me is just letting me know that when I look at some of you that's been with me a long time like the ponders like 40 some years the rest of you won't have that much time so you want to squeeze all you can get or you can get it's a beautiful church it's been a beautiful service couldn't be more proud couldn't be more proud He tried to make me cry, but I'm not going to cry. <laughs> uh, did, we, did the video get on there? They got everything good back there? All right, so I ain't got to worry about my eulogy. It's already, it's, it's already ready to go. That was good. Thank you.